0: You're listening to a sermon from St. John's Anglican in Cranbourne. To find out more about us, head to cranbourneanglican.org.au. My welcome to you. My name is Sam Bleby. I'm the senior minister here. And uh, wonderful to be, always wonderful to be among you in worship of our God. Well, I wonder if uh, you've ever had a meal that's really stuck in your mind. Uh, a meal that you just remembered for the rest of your life. For me, it happened when I was six. My uh, parents went out to a, uh, a dinner party. They were invited out, and the kids came along, and we were put in a room separate to the parents, and they did their parent dinner party, and we had a kid's dinner party, and we had exactly what they had, which was wonderful. Like, I'd never experienced anything like it before in my life, and nor had I experienced the fact that there would be more than two courses... And it was interesting. They were very, very uh, beneficent hosts. And so with each course, they'd ask if we wanted any more of, of it. And, you know, being a young boy, I said, yes. And so the first course went out, and it was delicious. It was an you know, entree. And they said, would you like more? I said, yes, please. And then the second course came out, and I thought, this is the main meal now. It must be. Uh, so they gave me some, and I thought, that's not, that's not huge but that's all right, because she said, would you like more after it? And I said, yes. And we kept on going like this for six courses. (laughs) Like at the end, I can remember my parents putting me, putting us down to sleep where we were put in a room, and I can just remember lying there and looking down, and my tummy was like this, and just kind of rolling on the ground and groaning, just going, oh and uh, saying to my dad, Dad, I feel terrible. This is the worst day of my life. This is awful. And my dad, and I should tell you, my dad was an Anglican minister, but his pastoral approach was lacking. (laughs) Because he said to me, Samuel, there are starving people in Africa. (laughs) Go to sleep. I said, okay, okay. Uh, that was my most memorable meal, and it's gone down in history as as the Draper's Dinner Party. We talk about it among ourselves whenever we get together. Have you ever had a meal like that, uh, or a, a meal that's actually changed your life? So uh, I read an article on, or actually heard an interview with Heston Blumenthal once. Uh, Heston Blumenthal, is he's a world-famous chef. He uh, ran the restaurant, the The Fat Duck, and they have won... Every award that chefs can possibly win, uh, he's a very, very famous uh, chef. And he puts his part to this worldwide acclaim down to one experience. It happened when he was 16. He was in France in a French restaurant, and it was a meal that just blew his mind. He didn't know things could be like that. It changed his life. And from that moment, he decided that he wanted to be a chef. Uh, It was a meal that shaped, a meal that enriched the rest of his life. Well, 2,000 years earlier, another meal that changed everything for those who were there. Only for this meal, it wasn't the food and it wasn't the ambience that had such an impact. The food we know from Luke's gospel was broiled fish. The ambience we know from our reading was fear. There was nothing that would have gotten even a 16-year-old Heston excited about this meal. It wasn't the culinary experience that changed these people's lives. It was an experience of meeting their friend, their leader, their Lord, who they had seen die before their very eyes, Alive again Now that's an experience that is going to change your life forever, isn't it? And it changed theirs. Meeting Jesus alive again took them from fear to joy, from pain to peace, from doubt to faith. And it was an experience that shaped and enriched their lives, and not only their lives, but the lives of millions of down through the ages and across the world thereafter. So from fear to joy. Meeting Jesus changed these disciples. The ambience goes from fear to festival. The evening begins with the disciples. They're huddled together. They're locked behind closed doors in this room and they're fearing for their lives. Their friend had been executed. They'd seen it and they were worried that they were going to be next. And then Jesus walks through the door. Uh, Possibly, uh, literally, we don't know. The doors are locked, but he just appears. There he is. Uh, Imagine you've lived with this person for three years. You admire him, respect him, learn from him, love him. And then he's tortured and he's killed. And yet here he is before your very eyes. I expect most of you have had the experience of losing a loved one. It's awful, isn't it? Uh, someone you love has died. And when they're gone, you just want to see them, don't you? You just wish that they would walk through the door, not, you know, not in a spooky way, just as, just as them. And you, you can imagine the joy in how you'd hold on to them and laugh and cry and celebrate to see them alive again. Wouldn't it be wonderful? Well, Jesus was alive. Not in a spooky way. There was not the slightest air of death about him, but he was utterly and he was wonderfully alive. Uh, The reading says, Then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. That's got to be a pretty understated sentence, doesn't it? (laughs) Then they rejoice. The fear is gone. Jesus tells them that the time for huddling behind closed doors is gone as well. He says, As the Father has sent me, so I send you. And it's an experience that changes the rest of their lives. It wasn't just a joy and a loss of fear that stopped in that room, it was a joy and a boldness that would go with them to the very ends of the known world. They're no longer afraid that the Jews would put them to death because they've seen Jesus risen from the dead and they know that death has been put to death. There is a power that is stronger than death and he loves them. Death has been defeated so when people threaten them with death, they know that they're rattling a gun full of blanks. The disciples are so utterly changed by this experience that they go to the ends of the world and they're telling everyone about it. And no matter how people threaten them or, or, or torture them or even kill them, they keep telling about Jesus. Because there's a hope there that's beyond life and death and beyond everything. They cannot be stopped. We know that Peter and Andrew end up being crucified. James is killed by the order of Herod Agrippa. Other traditions say that at least seven of the twelve are killed. Why don't they stop? Because they'd met Jesus alive again and they knew that death was powerless in the face of that kind of life. And it was a life that everyone needed to know about. Death has been defeated. You know those loved ones who have died in the faith, we will see them again. You can know that for sure. And you can know that because these people that night saw the risen Lord Jesus Christ. And as we look towards our own deaths, you know, we don't have to play the same kind of games that our society does, where you kind of pretend death doesn't really happen. We can walk boldly up to death, look it in the eye, and say, you've got nothing. Because death has been defeated, because Jesus is alive. And as we live our lives, that actually gives such freedom, such joys, such boldness. Meeting the risen Lord Jesus changes everything. It takes us from fear to joy. And so it's it's surprising how many of our fears are actually tied up with this. If you no longer fear death, a lot of the fears just fall away. Uh, Perhaps you fear that you're not making the most of your life. Well, the best is beyond us. Perhaps you fear that you won't have enough in retirement. Well, actually, the worst is death, and that's been dealt with. You may fear that you don't have friends and family. Well, there's a certainty of an eternal family and deep community and fullness of life takes us from fear to joy. And so we can live boldly and full of joy. Well, it takes us from fear to joy. It also takes us from pain to peace. Did you notice that Jesus said to the disciples three times in our reading, Peace be with you. Uh, you see it in verse 19. Jesus came among them and said, Peace be with you. Verse 21. Jesus said to them, Peace be with you. And then verse 26, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Now, why the repetition? Why does it come again and again in this this little section? Well, because Jesus isn't just alive. His death and resurrection has achieved something. It's achieved peace. On the Jewish festival of the Day of Atonement, the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies in the temple And he takes a lamb and he sacrifices it. He spills its blood to make atonement for the sins of the people. And afterwards, he comes out to the people and he says words that I think many of you would probably be familiar with. You probably know these words. He says, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. He comes out the... The atonement's been done, the lamb has died, the sins have been taken, the death is done. He comes out and he announces peace to all the people. Shalom, wholeness, fullness, blessedness, life. The thing that's been wrecking your peace with God and each other, the thing that is the reason death is in this world in the first place, the cause of our pain, our sin is dealt with and now you can have peace. That's what he's saying. As Jesus comes out from the tomb, he announces peace to the disciples. The true and great day of atonement has come to pass and Jesus himself has shed the blood to pay for sin, destroy death and so bring us peace. Peace be with you, Jesus says. And although he simply is just using the usual greeting of the time, shalom, peace, yet I think he's doing so much more as he uses it. Here it's an absolution and a benediction, an announcement that everything has changed. And so the things that bring pain in our life can be changed to peace. There is such a seeking after peace in our world and in our society today. And we look for it in all sorts of places. Well, Jesus has brought it and he gives it. Peace, he says. Well, meeting Jesus alive took the disciples from fear to joy, from pain to peace, and it took Thomas from doubt to belief, to faith. So, verse uh, twenty-four. I so love, I so love this, uh, this little interaction. I'm just going to read it out to you again, uh, and just as I do, imagine being there. Imagine being Thomas, yourself. But Thomas, who was called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands and put my finger in the mark of the nails and my hand in his side, I am not going to believe. So a week later, his disciples were again in the house and Thomas was with them. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. Well, Thomas is wonderful. He's he's like the zeitgeist of our age. He's, He's a 21st century scientific materialist. I'll believe it when I see it and even better when I touch it as well. Give me the evidence, he says. He has what our world would say is a healthy scepticism. He's got a responsible doubt. Perfectly reasonable. This is an extraordinary claim. It requires extraordinary evidence. So show me the evidence. It's very much in vogue, I think, these days to doubt. In fact, it's almost, again, the spirit of our age in a time when... We like to keep all our options open, we like to see all the things and uh, perhaps sit back and think, well, you know, it could be true, it might not be, uh, I'll just kind of sit back and, and see what happens, go with the flow. And it's encouraged as a sign, uh, as a, uh, a sign of an open mind to doubt. Uh, to question is a sign of wisdom, we're told. And to some extent, you know, I agree. We should question and we we should be thinking. Uh, faith doesn't mean we check out our brains. We need to use our brains and we need to think about our faith. Uh, but sometimes I think it's just a cover for a lack of commitment. Uh, as D.K. Chesterton put it, Merely having an open mind is nothing. The object of opening the mind as of opening the mouth is to shut it again on something solid. It's wonderful, isn't it? Uh, The point of a question is to come to an answer. Some of our world's love of doubt is simply hiding a fear of intellectual commitment. Jesus never says that doubt is a good thing. Scripture calls it double-mindedness double and Jesus rebukes Peter for his doubt as he falters when he walks on water. Jesus calls on Thomas here not to doubt. Now, we all suffer our doubts now and then. And Jesus is gentle and kind and loving and he doesn't whack us for our doubts. He is not going to break a bent reed, as Scripture says. Uh, so uh, don't, you know, don't beat yourself up if you're in doubts, but what Jesus does is he calls us out of them. That doesn't mean we don't ask questions of our faith. In fact, I reckon it's a sign of a very strong faith to be willing to throw any question you have at it. Because uh, Christianity can withstand any question you can throw at it. Your faith can. So ask the questions. But Jesus calls for trust and he calls for commitment to actually set your heart and set your mind and set your life on him. And he's given us plenty with which to calm our doubts. Thomas had all the evidence he needed before he saw Jesus. He had 10 eyewitness accounts from people he knew and trusted. They were fishermen. They were a hard-nosed tax collector. These are not people who go around fancifully making things up. If you have ever met a fisherman... They are not fanciful people. Thomas, I know one sitting over there. He is not fanciful at all. Uh, Thomas should have believed. And you know, if Thomas had believed, he would have been given the great privilege of being the first among us. That is, among those who believed but did not see. Jesus called them, Jesus called us, blessed, he would have been the first to have that blessing. He had plenty of evidence and so do we. I mean Christianity is not based on a philosophy, but it's based on an historical event, the resurrection of Jesus. And the way you verify an historical event is not in a test tube, although as Thomas uh, could and did discover, Uh, Were we there, there was enough evidence to please even the most ardent scientific materialist. How do you establish the great events of history? Well, if you want to know what it was like when Mount Vesuvius erupted, then you go and read Pliny's account. His eyewitness account of what happened in 79 AD. If you want to know who won the Battle of Waterloo, you read the memoirs of Napoleon And Wellington. If you want to know what my first sermon was like, you should ask my wife. (laughs) Although I'd prefer you didn't. All the great events of history are evidenced not in a science lab, but by an eyewitness report. And in the accounts that we have that have been brought together in the Bible, we have a whole lot of eyewitness reports. Are you suffering from doubts? Don't feel guilty about that. Jesus came to bring bring peace and he's given us ways of allaying our doubts. If in doubt, read the eyewitness report of John's gospel. He was there. He saw it. He was right there. John wrote it for you. Verse 30, he said, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples which are not written in this book, but these are written... So that you might come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through believing you may have life in his name. And so like Thomas, we have the testimony of John. We're in exactly the same place. When doubts crowd in, take up the book and read. And... If you would like to do that, like if you're, if you're someone who's going through the doubts or maybe you're just investigating the faith, it's a wonderful thing to do and uh, I'd love to read it with you if you would like to. We can make a time this very week. We'll do the first chapter of John and we can talk about it. Uh, it's a wonderful, wonderful way of just investigating the evidence. Uh, like Thomas, we have the testimony of John when doubts crowd in. Take up the book and read. Uh, like Thomas, we also know people personally who have met the risen Lord Jesus. This room is full of people who have met him and been changed. Talk with them. You yourself, if you've been a Christian for any amount of time, uh, have met the Lord, risen Lord Jesus. Jesus. Now, sometimes I wonder whether we miss something here in the West because I know, and I've only been here for 18 months, I know there are people in this room who have it, who have had particular experiences of God, who've had particular uh, prayers answered in remarkable and miraculous ways. I know there are people in this room and I ex- suspect for all of you there have been times where you've prayed a prayer and it, it's it's been answered immediately or something has happened or you've had an experience of God we should tell each other more about these and it's amazing how much as we tell each other of uh, these experiences uh, we discover that oh you have that too and it encourages and strengthens our faith because we know that yes we have met the risen Lord Jesus he has changed us and he is at work in our lives we need to talk about it more how has Jesus changed you? How has he answered prayer? Uh, brought people about you just at the right time? The many coincidences of your life that you knew at the time were not just coincidence but the hand of God. Uh, those times where you've been reading the Bible and your heart's been strangely warmed or he said something that has been just the right thing. Let's share that with one another. And if you're here investigating faith and you're not really quite there, Ask people here about it. There is so much that the Lord has given us to allay our doubts and encourage our faith. Well, a meeting with the risen Lord Jesus Christ cannot leave you the same. For the disciples, they went from huddling fear to joyous boldness, telling out the good news that sin is dealt with and shalom, peace, can be ours. For Thomas, it was a transition from doubt to the clearest... And the strongest expression of belief that we actually have in all of the Bible. My Lord and my God. What is meeting this man meant for you? What could it mean for you? Well, this is too important not to investigate properly. So check it out. But most of you here this morning have already experienced that moment that changed everything or that meal, whether it was slow or over many years or a sudden event, you've met Jesus and you have been changed and death is done for you. Live the boldness, live the joy that that brings. I'm going to pray for you, I'm going to pray for me, that uh, God will keep us to that day where we do actually meet him face to face and uh, that he will hold us and stoke our faith and our joy until that day. Let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you that in your mercy and in your glory and in your forgiveness and in your grace, you raised the Lord Jesus Christ from the dead and that it is an event that not only changed the lives of those who were there that day, but changes lives down through the centuries and changes us this day. And so, Father, we pray that you would continue to bless us as people who believe and yet have not seen in the same way as Thomas. We thank you for the witnesses that you graciously supplied. And, Father, we pray that you would help us to set our faith and set our life and set our hope and our future on you, and to do so wholeheartedly. Uh, Father, I pray for any here who have been wavering, who are just not sure in their faith. Lord, I thank you that you love them and that you, in your grace, have come, perhaps even today, to uh, call us to a greater faith. And so, Father, in your loving kindness, stoke the fires of faith, Help us to know and love you more day by day. And in your mercy we pray that you keep us and hold us and bring us to that day when we will see, even as Thomas saw, and see you face to face. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.